Hello and welcome to a somewhat less exciting Get Your Film <laughs> Fix podcast. We're coming off of the extraordinary Nolan retrospective, which I had a lot of fun doing. World renowned. And uh, turned out, I, I was it was interesting listening to that, guys, where at the beginning, uh, Chapin was trying to talk about how we were going to expedite things, because while the Fincher one was really good, and we got into some really good debates, it was two hours and 20 minutes. Well, two hours and 45 minutes later, <laughs> we wrapped up the Nolan retrospective. But regardless, guys, I think it was one of our best of the director series. I think we did a really good job covering all the films and talking about Nolan as a director. Changing gears this week, we are going to be talking about the film that is available uh, to rent The King of Staten Island, directed by Judd Apatow, starring Pete Davidson. Uh, and then we are going to draft. We're going to go back to the drafting format and draft our top comedies of the decade. I like your tattoos. What are those numbers on your arm? Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in a fire 17 years ago. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Don't be, it's fine. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your dad. (laughs) You can't focus on Scott anymore, honey. He's 24 years old, Marjorie. Let that fucking bird fly, please. Don't worry, Mom. I know your daughter got smart and went to college and abandoned us. But I'm still here. I'm going to be here forever. Yeah. I want to become a real tattoo artist. Your work is mad and consistent. Obama ain't right. Oh, I love your tattoos. This is my favorite. I've been dating someone for a little while now. The first guy you date in 17 years is a fireman just like that? You don't think that's weird? You're going to have to pull your weight a little more around here. Maybe help Ray get his kids to school. Kelly, do you know him? He's a new friend. You okay? You know, you could tell me. I'm okay. Oh, I trained her in the car. She's not going to break. I want to open talking a little bit more about Judd Apatow uh, than this movie specifically, and then we can move into The King of Staten Island. Um, I think it's interesting because I don't really, I don't think a lot of people realize how long Judd Apatow's been around and been either a producer or a creator or a director of projects, um, TV and movies. Um, he, of course, kind of came to fame in 2005. That was when he made his featured directorial debut with The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Um, but you guys know that obviously his career goes back nearly 15 years before that. Um, TV shows like The Larry Sanders Show, Freaks and Geeks, Undeclared. He was a big part of creating and producing those. Uh, he was a producer on movies like The Cable Guy, Heavyweight, Anchorman. And um, that all leads up to 40-Year-Old Virgin. And at, at that point... He then started launching careers of a new troupe of comedy actors, Jason Siegel, Seth Rogen, uh, Jonah Hill, Jay Baruchel, uh, a number of different actors. Steve Carell. Uh, even Steve Carell, um, really starting with Anchorman and then, of course, giving him a starring role in 40-Year-Old Virgin. Um, so before we get to the King of Staten Island, I'm just kind of curious where you guys would place Apatow amongst very influential filmmakers that we talk about all the time because... If you think about Scorsese and Spielberg, Nolan, Hitchcock, Hitchcock these are all directors that have, have def- not only defined era, eras, but uh, genres in film. And I'm wondering if it's fair to put Apatow in a class like that. Um, or is he more of just like a modern day John Hughes, which is respectable in its own right. But I'm wondering where you guys place him in kind of the history of film. Jeremy, go for um, it. I I wouldn't compare him to any sort of distinguished director. I mean, his strength is not 
in his ability to direct movies. And I wouldn't compare him to John Hughes either because I think John Hughes was a good director. Like, he he had that that gift. And not that Apatow is, is terrible or anything, but he his strength lies in the presentation of his version of comedy, which is important, and it's important to the cinematic universe, and it's important to the comedy universe, but I do not put him on the level of ever talking about his movies in a way that him as a director is sort of an auteur or anything along those lines. But what about just as a as an influential person in in film history? Spielberg is probably the a, a better. Um, I would comparison. say no. I, I wouldn't put him anywhere in there. I would say he's influential in comedy and not in film history. But I mean, I, I even of, have an I, I have a, a note part of here. What isn't comedy a big part of film history? I mean, it's yes, it's, but it's it's, it's, it's not it's about. not. It's not how he directs it, and it's not how he portrays it filmically. I know that's not a word, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's it's like he started something. He started sort of a a new era of comedy where you're. It's more about what you're allowed to show and how dirty you can get, and as long as you put a, enough heart into it. But none of that was really like none of it to me translates as a as a cinematic experience. Okay. And I, I wouldn't even say he's the beginning of it. Like he's right around that, that era. And he did a lot of stuff. I mean, I would even put like wedding crashers as maybe the, 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 the fulcrum of that sort of new comedy era. What year was wedding crashers? Oh, six. Oh, six. So around the same time. Okay. Chapin, what do you think? Or Oh, five. Um, I disagree with Jeremy a little bit. I think that if Apatow had, con- I think he was sidelined by, um, by uh, what's the Sandberg Sandler movie? Fuck. Uh, funny, funny people. Funny people. Excuse me. So funny people really um did not do well commercially uh, for being a quite Which is expensive, movie. amazing. That that didn't ha- that that didn't do well. I agree, um, but I think if well, he had continued like on that trajectory and like he was, I think also sort of continued that same. I would I would put this is forty in that school as well. I think if he wasn't sidelined by that, we would we would an- Jeremy would answer that question differently. Um, I just think he hasn't di- written and directed enough things to be um, really considered like analyzed in that way. Um, but as a writer director, Chapin, what has he done that's so unique cinematically? Like, I, well, I, I just think, don't think I he think has a great grasp for, on the. the yeah, the I don't medium. want you to get hung up on the auteurism of his films. What I'm look, I, I look at him as one of the most influential. Yes, I would totally agree with people that. in the last in this century in film. I mean, but I think his influence. Like, it, it it probably went farther with television than it did with film. I don't think he made a huge mark on film. Well, I think, but he I has in totally the careers that he's made. I think the like look at all the people that have co- have made movies. Sure, and all those people are like a lot of them are big 
TV people. I mean, Steve Carell is the you know known as the Office. Like that's well, yeah, but he I has mean, a lot of Seth, movies. Seth Rogen and if we and, did this, I mean, maybe Jason Segel is. But if we did this list from if we did the list we're gonna do for this decade for the, the decade the, yeah the previous decade, it would be there'd be a bunch of um Appetite movies on there, and I bet most of the uh, of our other picks would be either produced by Apatow or somebody Apatow had discovered or had some influence on. Well, I just want to distinguish. I I do think Apatow has a big influence on the on comedy, especially the previous 10 years, yeah. more than this past 10 years. I, I totally agree with that. But as a director, as a director specifically, I don't think he's had that much influence. I think well, he's had more of an influence as a writer and a producer. He he did this most. Re- I mean, um, the majority of, or I guess, five years of this most recent decade, he spent executive producing Girls, um, which was a very big well, popular show. Well, um, that was one thing he did. Well, I know, but if you th- if Jeremy's saying like he was, is less influential this current decade, and I do think that is where you could maybe make the argument that he moved back into the TV realm a little bit. He also produced. Um, the show on HBO crashing the show uh, love so he's definitely done a little bit more of that but to your point Chapin, I mean if you if you look at from 2004 on he has anchorman he has 40 year old virgin he has Talladega Nights knocked up super bad walk hard forgetting Sarah Marshall step brothers pineapple Express funny people and but how much Greek, was, up and how much of that was Apatow, or how much is that Apatow well, slapping his name onto something? See, I don't know if I I, I think he's very involved as a producer, like because you can tell by the tone of the movies and the structure of the movies, it's not just somebody copying his format. I think he's very involved, and so that's why I that's personally why I give him so much credit because of everything that he's spawned, and you know, movies like Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which you could make an argument as a, as a, a top three among like all of the movies that he has influenced and the people that he's worked with have made. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe he just put his name on it, but he also, I think just influenced these people so well and what it means to make a, a good comedy now. Well, that Jason you have Siegel to give him wouldn't credit. be Jason Siegel. And Seth Rogen without... wouldn't be Seth Rogen and Jonah yeah. Hill would not be Jonah Hill. And, you look at these people's careers, regardless of the directions they've taken, and and they owe so much to to him. I mean, if you go all the way back to Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared. So, now that we've gotten that off our chest, his newest film, his first film since 2015, is that right? Yeah, With, since Trainwreck. Um, since Trainwreck, is The King of Staten Island, which is um, written by both him and Pete Davidson. And somewhat based on Pete Davidson's life, uh, his father uh, died uh, in 9-11. He was a firefighter and died in 9-11. In this film, while not dying in 9-11, his firefighter father died when he was young. And he has sort of just been, um, as the plot summary states, arrested in development since then. Lives at home. His younger sister is going off to college. Uh, He lives at home with his mom, played by Marissa Tomei. And he's got some mental health issues. We learn that he has Crohn's disease, and he's sort of a, a big fuck up. He's got some aspirations to open a tattoo parlor restaurant. Um, hangs out with kind of his deadbeat friends. So 
that's our premise here. And I think that this movie hinged entirely on both Pete Davidson's performance and his style of comedy and whether or not you were on board with that. So were you guys? Well, my, my big note here is that I don't think Apatow found his next Seth Rogen in Pete Davidson. <laughs> I think Seth Rogen's such an anomaly. Like, he's not the guy you would think would be a leading man, whether it's a comedy or whatever. He just... You, you, he's like maybe the you know the friend of the leading man no right. matter what you're doing but the funny he works. fat friend yeah yeah he's so good in his movies and he took off and he deserves to and he can command the screen and um is a it, he's a really good actor especially for this sort of stuff Pete Davidson is not that he cannot hit those notes that uh Seth Rogen can especially when he start trying to get the more um, sympathetic and empathetic scenes. I was really surprised by that. You agree that, or disagree? I agree, but I was I was very surprised. Um, I think what I've ad- admired, you know, when I went into this, like you said about Seth Rogen, I think, I mean, Apatow discovered him. He was on Freaks and Geeks and then Undeclared, and then he did a bunch of other movies, and Apatow produced and helped him write, you know, things in his own right. Um and then, you know, he kind of discovered Jonah Hill. You know, he found these people who you wouldn't think would be good for their own movies. I think Amy Schumer is a, a, another great example. Um, mm-hmm. And found them and did something, you know, found something in them that I think most people wouldn't notice at first. And made an entire movie around them in the case of, of Amy Schumer. Um, and so I was expecting him to sort of... And Seth Rogen. And Seth Rogen. And I was expecting him to sort of come in with with showing us something similar about uh, with, with Pete Davidson. I think, you know, he's been kind of underserved on SNL. He has this sort of bigger than life, you know, personality or um, not a personality, but like reputation. Um, and I was expecting this revelation and that absolutely didn't happen. I thought he was I yeah. thought he was actually really bad. See, I don't know if I thought he was bad. I actually struggled with his performance, but I Probably um he was bad. What I well See, I what I struggle with is cynicism in humor. And Pete Davidson's style of comedy in this movie, I don't know really anything about him. I don't really watch SNL, so I don't I don't know what he's like on that, but his style of comedy here is very dry, it's very self-deprecating, and it's very cynical. And that's also something I've been critical of Judd Apatow with some of his more recent movies, specifically This Is 40. I thought it was a very cynical point of view on what he was trying to say. And can you, I'm sorry, before you go on, can you just talk a little bit about why cynicism bothers you in comedy? Like, can you give an example of that? I, see, I think, I think self-deprecating humor can be funny, but... When it becomes cynical, it's almost as if it's. A, I almost picture like if someone tells you a, a a cynical joke and then you laugh, they will then look at you and criticize you for laughing at that joke. Like, what's the matter with you? Why would you laugh at that? Like, almost like the joke's on you, not the joke is on them. So it takes that self-deprecating aspect and kind of flips it on its head, and it and it sort of like gears it towards the 
the mm-hmm. audience, which I, I find kind of insulting. And I also just think cynicism isn't something I particularly appreciate. You've heard me talk about that with Noah Baumbach, too. Um, I think some uh, part of the what I dislike about some of his movies are that there's sometimes no light at the end of the tunnel. There's 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 not anything really to root for. With Apatow? Well, Apatow did such a Apatow great job with that early light. in his career. Well, no, that's what I mean. He did that. He did such a great job with that with movies like Forty Year Old Virgin and Knocked Up, and then with This Is Forty, maybe to a little bit lesser extent, Funny People. I, I, I found that his view on life was cynical and a little bit less positive outlook. And I found that to be the case here. And I, but I think what happens is, you know, what Apatow does with his stories is he, he's able to take a, take, take a drama or a coming of age story. And he is in fully realizes it. And then he puts funny people with funny lines of dialogue into it, and he has a successful comedy. But what's happening now and what happens with this movie is the the cynicism like serves as a roadblock. So every time Pete Davidson's character tries to get over a hump or find a resolution with Bill Burr's character or you know, uh, seems like he's taking steps towards a career or getting on with his life, he has a line of dialogue or he falls back, and it just keeps making this movie start and stop over and over. Well, he's not funny. I don't think Pete Davidson is funny in this movie at all. And I think what you're missing, Lee, is that I don't think that Apatow... I think you you said he puts funny people in his movie. I think Apatow discovers people's dramatic sides. I don't... I think he... I think we're aware of people, their comedic sides. I think he discovers that somebody like Seth Rogen or... um, Steve Carell or Jonah Hill or even Adam Sandler. I mean, we kind of knew that before, but um, what he did in Funny People, I mean, he's he's known Sandler, you know, since they, they were roommates in college, I think. Um, but finding their ability to sort of grasp the dramatic side of things. And I think that that's right. what he does so well. Um, I just think the problem is, is, is that there's not much that's funny about Pete Davidson. Like, what is but funny I- about him? I, I agree, and, and I, I mean, I sort of took the long way to say that. Um, I try, you know, my I'm trying to explain what it is that didn't work about his comedy, but I agree. I don't think he was funny. I mean, I, I think you're right, Chapin, that he he is able to get the dramatic performance out of actors because I think that's because he usually writes dramatic movies. Yeah, and if you think, I think Knocked Up is the is the best example because that movie is. I mean, maybe it's a rom com, but it's it's a story about an unplanned pregnancy. And then he puts all his guys in there sort of playing themselves, improving the whole movie about Martin Starr's beard and like <laughs> all like it's just and so it's a dramatic movie yeah. with funny people in it being funny. And I think that's what I love about his best movies. And here it just doesn't work. And I think what you guys are saying is right. Pete Davidson is not funny and I think that there's people that probably do like this style of humor and maybe this movie works better for them. But ultimately that style of comedy that they kept trying to employ here kept stopping this movie from going anywhere. Every time this movie was trying to go with the Judd Apatow formulaic direction and rise to a point where uh, a character comes of age, a character learns something, 
it stopped because the cynicism was pushing back, both whether it's from Apatow, whether it was from Davidson, I don't know, but it was pushing back. It was preventing this movie from getting to any resolution that didn't feel forced because it spent the whole movie trying to avoid that. See, I, I like Pete Davidson in general. I watch SNL, and I think he's actually really funny on it. Um, so I think we're... I think we're we're blaming Davidson a lot for Apatow's sins here, hmm. and for a couple reasons. I don't think Davidson's qualified, and 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 to support Chapin's point is is Apatow's been very good at getting those dramatic performances out of these comedians and understanding what he can get there. He met, you know he may just not have known that Davidson couldn't go there or whatever it was uh, Davidson couldn't go there but Lee said the Apatow formulaic which I think this is just way too formulaic it's every scene seems to be the the normal or the typical Apatow formula it's like joke 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 all right by the end let's get a little dramatic let's make it serious joke 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 um and and my biggest problem with this movie, by far, was that Apatow does two things really bad, and I think he's been doing it for the last several movies, but this one it was just so obvious. He has too many scenes. There's so many scenes you could cut from this movie that have nothing to do with this movie. And even within scenes, they're extended way too long. He needs well, to cut them. That's like, my point. Like he, uh, that's my I point about the starting examples. After that, well, give give me some because I I want to hear which examples you have because I'm curious if this is falling into the same issue I had. All right, so there's that scene about fighting in a restaurant for the tip jar that was never needed. There was no point to that whole thing. It sort of disappeared. The whole thing with, and, and this is actually the perfect example. So when um, Pete Davidson goes to pick up Bill Burr's kids, and then Pete Davidson and Bill Burr. Burr's ex-wife have this whole joke and dialogue about is Pete Davidson some sort of pedophile, some mm-hmm. sort of creep, blah, blah, blah. That scene itself, we get the joke pretty early. It extends way too long. And then that, and then there's an additional scene after where he drops off the little girl and the teacher starts making the same okay, but that thing. did deliver one of the funnier lines of the movie. It's fine, but is it worth? Is it worth no. it for that one? It's, that was that's why he kept it in there because okay. Pete Davidson said that thing. That's a good point. Um, and then, and then, just let me get this: uh, the whole robbery aspect of this movie yeah. was there was no what? What was the payoff? Okay. What was the point of that whole thing? I'm gonna. Uh, this is this is really good because this is the problem with the movie. This is the start and stop element, and and it's in having too many scenes, not cutting scenes out is why it became a problem because they're all there to try to show you that maybe he's learning something. Maybe he's growing. You know, he's learning something taking care of Bill Burr's kids. He's learning something because he doesn't want to be involved in this robbery. Isn't it so painfully obvious, though, that it's like roll your eyes obvious? It absolutely is. And But when you have that many scenes, that's what forced this movie to continuously stop and restart. So he's learning something. Nope. Backtrack. He's still a he's still a deadbeat. Learning something. Nope. Backtrack. Still a deadbeat. And so every single one of those scenes kept doing the same thing throughout this movie. And 
it's exhausting because this movie goes on for two hours and 15 minutes and then you get to a point where he kind of changed right a little like there's no big revelation in this movie like he kind of changed and that's frustrating yeah, but it was but even the kind of change was so like in your face like with what they with the montages and the fire like it was just I don't know. You're, you're just like, oh, we get it, Apatow. Like, all, it seemed like what he was doing with these scenes and this screenplay was just letting these funny people try to be funny. But those jokes weren't payoffs enough for the extra, right. honestly, hour and 15 minutes. There were like a few. <laughs> Jeremy wanted this movie to be 60 minutes. <laughs> there were a few there were a few like moments where you laughed and you're like that's good but like none yeah. of that was we're, we're making then this was my like my opening point about apatow we're making a movie here but like that's your concentration here like why are we why are we so like infatuated with funny people trying to say some funny things we can do we can get that nearly anywhere you're a director you're a filmmaker make a movie yeah what do you think chapin yeah i mean uh, i think it i think it failed on both fronts like you're saying the back and forth that you know he didn't progress at all okay you know there's nothing really heartwarming about that and i didn't find the scenes particularly funny i didn't think the scenarios there like yeah. you have these like those moments you brought up about making fun of, uh, uh, what's his name's beard in Knocked Up, yeah, Martin, Martin Star. Starr's beard, yeah. and like, you could argue that those are that's an example of Apatow kind of, you know, playing the joke a little bit too much. I mean, they go back to that a lot, right? But it's so funny, yeah, the whole movie, and it also yeah. like helps develop those characters, and you enjoy being there, and you don't mind the like. It's not the crux of the scene. It's, it's never not, the no. It's never the point of the scene. It's just the side joke. And I just, I just, yeah. And, and, and I I remember reading or hearing that this film was like a little darker than what, um, Apatow usually does. And I guess that's true in terms of the subject matter, but the filmmaking wasn't dark. It wasn't more dramatic filmmaking. It was just bad. It just wasn't good. Yeah. There was all sorts of nonsense made about how he, uh, he hired Robert Elswit to shoot this film. Um, (laughs) Like, which like dude so it looks like all his other movies to me <laughs> yeah which is like three point lighting put the camera down and and film the scene or put um, put multiple cameras cuz yeah. your your actors are going to improv which became very obvious in some places they're talking over each other and not in a way that felt natural it felt like oh they're just improv yeah there was that. some bad improv there was a there was a scene where Steve Buscemi was telling a story about like I can't remember if it was about a fire that he was at or something like that and it was supposed to be like this like story that got to a point about firefighters or something and and he was like really struggling through it and I'm like did he tell him to improv this and maybe Steve Buscemi's not a good improver or something and it was it was really awkward so yes um there was a bright spot of this movie for me I'm hoping you guys agree um but it did indeed surprise the living shit out of me uh, Bill Burr's performance. Yeah, he was he was I, quite I did good. Like him, yeah. yeah, he was really good. And I was like, I don't think of Bill Burr as an actor. No. Never mind a good one. Emerson alone, Jeremy. Um, yeah, he needed to get the. I'm sure he was like, I'll be in this movie, but I have to be a Red Sox fan. 
Yeah, I, 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 he actually was the heart of this movie to me. He, well, Marissa Tomei was good too, but um, yeah. I think Bill Burr was the real reason that there was much of any redeeming quality in this movie. I also um, liked his. I'm sorry, I'm looking her up right now. Belle Powley, his. Uh, yeah, she was girlfriend. Oh, or, too, yeah. or she, I thought she was really funny and really good. And and there were Apatow moments in this that I laughed at. There were like a handful of moments that you're like, oh, okay, like that's that that moment right there is funny. But again, funny is not a justification for a two plus hour movie. Like I especially one like this that is trying to be dramatic. If you're going to go there, if you're going to go to that those dramatic scenes, if you're going to go to that scene where Pete Davidson's staring out at the fire while the firemen are in yeah. slow motion saving everyone, like you got to you got to be better. Is that the moment he learned everything? Yeah, you got to be better. But Apatow is so good at dealing Usually. with serious subject matter. Usually. Like, if you think about it, like you would never define Knocked Up as a serious movie, but it deals with unplanned pregnancies, something that people deal with isn't all the there, time. Isn't there literally the same montage sort of, not montage, but the same um, character arc in Knocked Up as there is here where the character, you know, hits yeah. rock bottom, then has to like learn everything over, get a job, rediscover his and, life, so that yeah. he could take care of his responsibilities. Yes, and that's but that's fine. That's like certain formulas but work. Literally, Apatow's formula works, but he doesn't put the pieces together well. I mean, he deals with he deals with stuff like mental illness in this movie, which is a a subject that a lot of filmmakers don't even want to touch even for dramas. So to do it with a comedy, I think is respectable to make that effort. But but, uh, but do it well. Exactly, do it well. He and he doesn't he doesn't like he doesn't not he doesn't take the issue of mental illness lightly here at all. This is just not a good movie surrounding it. So and also I do find I do find his, his character resolutions too easy. I don't even remember how this movie ended. I have to be honest. I don't even remember what well, happened. He just like he, well, between he, this, he meets the he takes his girlfriend to the exam. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And, and he's he just standing in New York City. New York, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. do you know how hard it <laughs> is? Do you, do you know how hard it is for people to sort of reinvent their lives and and turn it all around? In Apatow between this and Knocked Up, which I obviously I think Knocked Knocked Up's a much better movie, but the the whole like just, you know, have a passion, get a job, figure it out. He 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 takes that too like sort of lightly and easy. Like it's just Oh, in this movie? In this movie and Knocked Up, I think. Uh, oh, see, I think I think it's good that he doesn't take it too seriously typically. I think he takes it too seriously here. Like I think the idea behind No, I think he I think it's he he's he describes it or shows it as something that's easy if you really want to sort of just do it. But the thing with Knocked Up is like Seth Rogen's character is like a deadbeat. He doesn't have a job. He's trying to start this well, this Mr. a dead Mr. Sk- I know, but this is my point. He's trying to start this like Mr. Skin type website with his friends and just hang out with them and then like suddenly <laughs> He's got this responsibility of a baby coming, so he realizes he's got to get his life together. But you never really care that much about that part. Like, that's how the movie resolves. That's how the arc of the character works. But it's like, it's sort of, like, treated irreverently 
which is fine. Like, it works for the movie. I just, Here, I, I think he gets hung up on the authenticity of how a character will overcome everything he's been through. So you have this character who's but Jeremy literally just said that that's been debilitated. See, I think it's a problem that he takes it too seriously here. Jeremy was suggesting no, I, he doesn't take I, it seriously I, enough. I think he's saying, here's this character who's been debilitated by his father's death that happened when he was seven, and he spent the last 15 or so years living with, at home without a job, has, has no real drive to do anything. And because in, re, in the reality of the world, that is something that is difficult to get, be, get past and get beyond, it doesn't just take, you know... Uh, uh, a, a friend he makes at the firehouse and a girlfriend that that cares about him to really make that work. He, and some by giant sticking, jacked black guy who has a scene in there for no reason that just comes to yeah comes up to him and it's like, oh, we respect your father. Thanks right. for everything you did. Oh, like that yeah, was that was so weird. Such a weird scene. I was um, like, I looked at Sarah. I'm like, why is this? Why is yeah? Happening? It was that was weird. Um, but yeah, he he's intent on like keeping like almost being too authentic, too realistic in how that affliction would impact somebody that I don't it, think he's realistic prevents, about it. I think he's I, I, absolute. No, I, I mean, it's absolutely right. Are you kidding me? Like somebody who's I'm in not. that state is, was just going to go and spend some time at a firehouse. And then all of a sudden by the end, just figure it out. Like it seemed too right. Convenient. No, the movie, the movie is not realistic. What uh, my, my point is, that he try, but my whole, it comes back to my whole starting and stopping. Like he tries to emphasize that it's not going to just take one thing to turn this character around. When ultimately that is what happens. But that's why he keeps going back. It seems like oh he's getting along with Bill Burr. No, now he's not. Uh, he just he fell back to being a dick, and it's just over yeah, and over again. Whatever seems to work, and it's also like Marissa T- Tomei turns on both of them in yeah. an instant because I, actually, I didn't it, like her in this movie. I thought she was because bad. it worked for the plot. Yeah, I didn't care for her either. Like I sort of hate her in movies like this. I like Marissa Tomei, but sometimes I wonder why she's had like three an good Oscar performances winner. An Oscar in her winner, Jerry. Yeah. So I don't know. That's why you like her is because of the Seinfeld. No, I like her because of my cousin Vinny. Honestly, like that's why. But I wonder, like, what else has she been really good the in? The Wrestler. Was she good in that? I don't know. That movie's overrated. What? The Wrestler. Eh. I Anyhow, liked her in it. I mean, <laughs> I, I just, I just think like, I, I think this movie cued me into Apatow's sort of system. Like, it made it sort of obvious what he's doing. And it kind of hurt other movies, Apatow movies for me. Oh no, it's the it's the Cameron Crowe syndrome. Oh god, <laughs> I think it's I think it's Pete Davidson all the way. I think that's the problem. It's the fatal flaw. No, they I built a movie I don't around think it him, is. and he's just not. I think the writing's bad. He's I think not the a good scenes actor are too long. I don't think he's that funny. I agree with that, but I think it's the writing. I think the scenes are way too long, and there's so many extra scenes that you don't need that go nowhere. I would I would think I would suggest the idea that like because Apatow has been so influential in comedy that now he has no parameters and he you know that's why his movie is two hours and sixteen minutes and shouldn't be but all his lo- movies are sort of like two hour comedies it's always sort of been an yeah, interesting and, little and thing think, about his movies I think that he earns that most of the time I think he- yeah I wrote I wrote that Apatow is an argument for studio interference. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. 
All right, so thumbs down across the board for King of Staten Island. It's not good. Yeah, I was I was not enjoying it. Um, waste of money. Waste of money. All right, it's only twenty let's move bucks, on. you know, for a. <laughs> let's move on to some good comedies, guys. We're gonna draft our best comedies of the decade. I've been enjoying doing the draft idea. It it forces us to get our number one pick out right away mm-hmm. instead of putting it at number four just to make sure nobody else takes it. Um, um, I think uh, Chapin needs to go first this I time because he's the turn. only one that has not. You get to get the number one pick overall. Yeah. Just because you haven't done your list and you do it while we're... <laughs> this should make it easy because now you have... You can literally go on the internet and search best comedy of the so decade should and I, pick that should one. Should I pick... I should probably pick something that you guys. I think you guys are gonna pick, right? No, I think you should pick you should what pick you would what think you... is your favorite, like Desert Island comedy of the decade. Did you guys have any parameters here on how you define comedy? Um, yeah, that was the tough part. If it made me laugh more than, like, even if a movie may not be considered a comedy by other people, if it made me laugh a lot, I, I said okay, that it's a comedy. So I, I was that was my original thing, but then I ended up. Just to narrow things down, I, I said it had to have comedy in the on the IMDb page. It had to list comedy as as one of its genres. <sighs> Why does Chapin get so mad at the end of the show? I'm not mad. I think you are a little bit. <laughs> All right, Chapin. That big right, do you have Do you have a list? Do you have a number one? Or I do. It is All right. The Wolf of Wall Street. Fuck. That's my number one. Yeah, so that was what that was the one I left off because it was it didn't have it listed, but that would have been my number one also. I don't know that this is God the funniest it. movie. It might have been. It, but it, it makes me laugh funny. so hard. Oh my god! It is it is an incredibly funny movie. So it should be listed as a bef- comedy. Bef- just, I I, I would yeah. love to. I would love for. I was I was thinking today as I was I was on my run. <laughs> Hardly a run, um, and you don't have to insult yourself, there. You could have just said I was on yeah, We weren't arguing with you. You don't have to get a jab six, in there. I was doing a six-minute mile, you know, just a casual run. Um, yeah, you did twenty miles. And I was listening to our Nolan retrospective, and I thought of a couple movies that I would just that have happened between since we were kind of retired in 2012 and now, um, which I just I would just love to find an excuse to do. And right. The Wolf of Wall Street is one of those. It's just not a movie that we've talked about seriously, and I would love to do it, but I just think... But it comes up on nearly every list. I know, <laughs> I know. That's the thing, is that like we, we've mentioned it, but I don't. I still don't think we've like analyzed it in depth. But I, I do think there's a comparison here with King of Staten Island. I think there's like something, something Scorsese's doing right here that Apatow didn't do right, and I don't know what it is. Because they're sort of the same... Sort of this. I mean, it, it, there's Wolf of Wall Street. The poor version. Yeah, kind of right. Like, like, um. So, it's a great pick. All right, Jeremy. All right, my uh, my number one then is gonna have to be the favorite. Fuck. Thought you might have that. Uh, I mean, Lanthimos is one of the funniest directors in a way that. 
like uniquely him. I, I think I saw uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer on one of these lists, or maybe it was maybe it was a lobster. It's definitely not a comedy. Definitely not. Yeah, a comedy, Killing right? of a Sacred Deer wouldn't wouldn't make it, and I think it's one of why I don't love that movie as much because it just doesn't cry. Like he just he knows where the line is, and he knows how to like yeah. teeter it. And no, he goes he know, over it. No, he knows where the line is, and he crosses it. <laughs> no, but it crosses what... in a way that's super funny. Yeah, it like works. Where Killing yeah. of a Sacred Deer is is not super funny. Well, it's a different funny. type he, of movie. He doesn't try to make it funny. It's a different type of movie. Um, all right, my number one is going to be Eighth Grade. Ah, that's my... Jeez. This is going to be tough. You can have it. All, all my tops are gone. Love, loved that movie. I thought it was hilarious. I, I think it's too. so brilliantly done. Because it's like that type of... I mean, similar to like something that Lanthimos does, although the tone is very different you're laughing at things that like should not be funny. Like you're laughing at things that should be making you cringe. And I think that was what was interesting about that movie is the first time I watched it, I did cringe. And then the second time I watched it, I laughed. <laughs> and I think it was what made that movie work so well for me. Yeah. Those are my, those are my top three. Nice. Chapin I, I love disagrees. that. Okay. My turn. Uh, I think I'm going to be alone here on this one, but I'm going to take bridesmaids. I thought about Bridesmaids. I know I like that a lot more than you guys do. Well, so I so my issue with Bridesmaids is that I I think it's actually a really really funny movie. I just I don't like the movie as a whole quite as much. Um but another Apatow influenced film. All right. Um I think he yeah, produced it, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't going to make my list. Not a I, fan? I think it's fine. It's just... Oh, come on. It is, it is really funny. All right. Uh, what should I go with? I'm going to go with The Death of Stalin. Yeah, I was wondering. I still haven't seen that. So good. I saw that. I really want to watch that. It's it's on Prime, I think, too. I don't really have any excuse. This was this was in my... Um, this was on my... Uh, our, in in the stable or whatever on but uh um i'll let you have it jeremy i think the death of stalin represents obviously it's written and directed by anarno ianucci who who did obviously who did um uh veep um he created veep and so i think this represents like a a, a style of comedy that i believe is mostly done in tv um that's kind of popular that was you know came to came to popularity in this decade and, and I'm not really sure what it is. It's like irreverent kind of like politics, but you know, dud. <laughs> I'd love to have that conversation of what I consider. Like I think TV does comedy so much. I agree. Than movies, I agree. But, and they can have it too. Cause like, I don't go to the, I don't spend $10 to laugh. You know, I can do that at home. Can you? <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to skip what, Original, well, maybe I won't. Um, my number two is going to be the lobster. I know we already talked about Lanthimos and Chapin mentioned the lobster, but is it I, that I funny really though? like this movie. I think it's so funny in that Lanthimos way, like just yeah. like the favorite is. I uh-huh. I think it's such a is it, the line that I am always I always remember, and I know it's in the trailer, but it's when Fixie winner uh, Olivia Coleman says lobster is an excellent choice. <laughs> it's just so matter of fact and they they take it so seriously like I just love the concept of this movie and 
but this is also like an amazing love story, like an amazing love story, I think, mm-hmm. um, between Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I uh, he, I lent him, I gave Colin permission to be in that film out of my actor troupe. So, oh, that was oh, nice of course, to you. yeah. Um, but didn't you know? I I wasn't crazy about Sacred Deer because now I feel like he's got an ownership over, and I don't want him getting straying too far. Yeah, that's true. And that is too. That's true. And McDonough has him twice. Oh. oh fuck's sake! Is it my turn? All right. Yep. <sighs> okay. I I think this movie is so funny. Um, it's this is the end. Yeah, this is on my list. Fuck. It is hilarious. I mean, it's really underrated. It, we don't talk about it um, a lot, but it's kind. Of, I think it's kind of the culmination of this of of the Apatow run. Even though I don't think Apatow anything had anything to do with it, it's all the, it's all I, those guys and like it's them just going all out and playing themselves in the apocalypse. And it's just so funny. It's this is what works. This is this movie works, I think, because of a little bit what he did in Knocked Up, where he allowed these guys to sort of like play themselves. Yep. But especially Michael Sarah. Well, but that's what's brilliant is they're like versions of themselves. Like Michael Sarah is this huge asshole, and everybody hates him. <laughs> My favorite scene in this whole movie is when they wake up and Danny McBride is eating all the food, though. Yeah, it's it, so that's, funny. that's so funny. Oh, it's the it's one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen. Uh. Chapin, thank you so much for reminding me of Colin Farrell because what would have maybe even been my number one pick, I didn't even think about, and it's Seven Psychopaths. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No, not nah, not nah. Watch it again. The second time, it's not that good. The second time around, hilarious, and Sam Rockwell is so good in it. It's so such a fun watch. Oh, fuck you. Oh, I love it. I can't yeah. believe we should do we should review it we should all watch it again on the next challenge you can give it to one of us if... uh all right my number three is francis ha oh <laughs> what come on you don't I've like that movie not seen it Chapin, you don't like i francis started ha? it i started it it's really <laughs> good it's really good and like and greta gurry is so so annoying i find her so... oh she's so likable no you're wrong no. Chapin. you're wrong she's so likable in this movie and in all all of like the supporting characters are are so likable and like down to earth that it just feels like such an authentic slice of life and it's funny because of that because you're seeing like this sort of like awkward poor new yorker try to navigate life and it just works so nicely i think it's actually one of uh bombbox best movies so okay i haven't seen it I dead wrong really Chapin, dead wrong wrong the last two movies have been uh argument movies yeah all right chapin what do you got um i want to throw this in just because i want it represented but i'm going to go with the world's end so you went from this is the end to the world. I am. One of my well, uh, that's uh that's lesser Edgar Wright. Really? For me. Yeah. I I agree. I think there's a lot of good in it, but I think it's lesser Edgar Wright. 
What's better? And don't say Baby Driver. I think Baby Driver's better. I think no, Shaun I think of the, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz are both better. Is it, well, when did Hot Fuzz come out? Because I oh yeah, it's Hot it's, Hot Fuzz is too early. Well, Hot Hot Fuzz, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and the World's End are like sort of an unofficial trilogy, right? What do they actually? Call can it? I it's can a, I rescind that? There's a name. Can for I rescind it. that? Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take the big short instead. Oh, that's a great pick. Ah, in- interesting. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Um, didn't love it. Don't think it's that funny. The Big Short. I rewatched yeah. it. It really is smart. I, I, I think it's it smart. I, smart. I, I, I agree funny. that it's not um, hilarious. It's it's. Uh, but I, I think what's interesting about what um, the director <laughs> does with the Big Short, um, Adam McKay. Is that like he? There you go. He uses <laughs> what I love about what the director does. <laughs> does let me think of it real quick. I love what Adam McKay does is that he uses humor to tell this very sort of sad, kind of complicated story about essentially math. Um, yeah, like the the Margot Robbie in a bathtub thing. I, you know, so I didn't that. care that stuff. I I, I I'm like I, I know those were supposed to be the kind of bookmarks and highlights of the film but i didn't find that i didn't find those to be that moving i kind of like the selena gomez one eat or better um but i just like the irreverence that he has for it and it's almost like this is such an absurd situation that we're in with this financial crisis that you can only think of it with this amount of uh, irreverence and I, I appreciate that i appreciate using comedy to sort of tell an important story. I think that's a really innovative way to look at it. Like, I, I know this is almost exactly what I said about, um, W or what was it? A Cheney or what was it? Vice. Vice. Sorry. Vice. Yeah. Forgettable movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you that it's, it was not completely successful, but I, my favorite actor of the year. I think that that's an, I think that that way of tell, I think encouraging people to tell stories in a different way. Great. All right. I think that's a good replacement. For the All right, end. so I am. I'm gonna go with what we do in the shadows. Never seen I haven't it. Haven't seen that. Probably won't. Really? Probably won't after my Jojo Rabbit feelings. Uh, Jojo Rabbit's really funny too. Uh, he didn't direct that though, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Taika oh, Waititi. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it's hilarious. I mean, I don't get it. I don't get why. Like, it's a very what it's we do like in the shadows, like sort of a combo between like the off the British office and Flight of the Concords. Yeah, that's like, why it's funny. It's it, that Flight of the Concords humor. Like, yeah, I put it right in the middle of that, and I think I think that's hilarious. I love that deadpan stuff. Like, that's to me, that's perfect. And I think he's doing comedy as well as anybody right now in cinema. Yeah, he might be better than Apatow. I saw um, Thor Ragnarok on this list as well. I did too. I've, I've never, never seen, seen it, it but funny? I was like, "Well, it's Taika." I mean, um, all I the Mar- directed it. All the Marvel movies are uh, laughing stock. Okay. All right, my turn. Yeah. I don't think you guys have seen this movie. It's one I always sort of try to bring up when I can. It's called "Seeking a Friend for the End of the World." Another Ugh. end of the world movie. Isn't that a fucking Colin? What's his name? Yeah, Steve Carell. No, the guy who directed it, Colin. No, Lorene Scafaria directed. Oh, okay, good. Uh, who directed <laughs> Hustlers? Who are you so, talking no, about? So no Collins. Any Collins? <laughs> no involved. Collins involved. The guy who did Jurassic World. Oh, Colin Trevorrow. Yeah. 
Yeah, no no Collins were involved in the making of this movie. No Collins were uh, injured. No, this is uh Steve Carell and Keira Knightley. Um the title kind of sums it up. Uh but uh beginning of the film is Steve Carell getting a divorce from his wife played by his real wife again and then he sort of meets and befriends Keira Knightley and of course they fall in love but the world is ending and it's a very kind of poignant tale but it's very funny and it's done really nicely um Lorene Scafaria um who's the director of Hustlers most recently um I think this movie is much better than Hustlers uh and it's really it's a really nice movie I, I just one I've always recommended all right nice Javen, what is your number five? I'm gonna go the with end. MacGruber. Oh my really? god! Really? Have you guys seen it? No, I. It is int- so funny, Lee. You especially will like it. Just I watch it. I hate Will Forte. I, I know, I know, I know. Just watch it. It is so funny. It's just so absurd, just ridiculous, just so outrageous. It is so How funny. How high were you when you watched no, it? No, 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 no. Nothing like that. <laughs> but he didn't say he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Can't answer that over the air. All right. Uh, this podcast gotten real lowbrow. My, my number five is is The Big Sick. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really good. That was uh, That's what I think Apatow strives well, for. Well, he produced it. He produced it. Great. Well, <laughs> he at least could put his name to it. But I mean, as a director, I think this is what he's sort of striving for in his ability to tell a serious story uh, with funny people that were that balances the two things. Yeah, it's really good. Quite good. Camille and Johnny's most recent movie, not quite as successful. I don't know if either of you guys Which got Lovebirds. Oh, yeah, no. I, I like The Pretty Big bad. Sick. Um, it was it was nice little movie. Uh, all right. My number five is 21 Jump Street. Oh, great pick. So funny. So funny. Surprised the shit out of me. But Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum are just so perfect in it. This movie is so, so funny. Chapin, you and me podcasted about it. Did we? In the late days of the first iteration of the Get Your Film Fixed podcast. Did we both love it? We both really liked it, yeah. Um, that should have been on my list. I'm sorry. But, yeah, love it. Such a funny movie. All right. Well, I think we got some. Uh, it's interesting because I think the last three picks for all of us uh, would have been stayed separately, but the first uh, couple picks, or at least the first pick, definitely would have uh, crossed lists, at least for me. Well, I mean, the favorite in eighth grade both like a lot of fixing well, nominations. Let me, let me sum it up. Chapin, you had Wolf of Wall Street, Bridesmaids, This Is the End, The Big Short, and MacGruber. Uh, I had The Favorite, The Death of Stalin, Seven Psychopaths, What We Do in the Shadows, and The Big Sick. And Lee had, (laughs) it was pretentious, Eighth Grade, The Lobster. Yeah, you want pretentious. Francis Ha, Seeking a Friend at the End of the World. What is pretentious about? And then 21 Jump Street. What what is pretentious about Seeking a Friend at the End of the World? The only good choice on there is 21 Jump Street. Okay, MacGruber. Watch it and tell me it's not funny. I, I will. Uh, we need I will. we need a, another just effing watch it challenge. It. I feel like this is 
I, I can't remember a top five that's had this many debates. <laughs> You're wrong! You fucking idiot. Well, I mean, we all... Actually, I mean, comedy is a very subjective genre, but we all tend to agree on comedies. So... To, when I hear I mean, things we all like think Seven Psychopaths and MacGruber, I really am disappointed in you guys. That's all. MacGruber! I just think you need to rewatch Seven Psychopaths. It didn't hit me till the second viewing. Yeah, well, it's not good enough to watch twice. So it's like the Annihilation argument. Oh, that's oh, just, just play like, it again. Run it back, guys. Bro, you got to watch it one more time. You got to watch it three that's times. It's so easy to say, oh, it's just not good enough to watch it again. But just watch it again and maybe then determine. No, because like. I'm not no, because you've already decided, and uh, you're not, you don't have an open mind. I don't have an open mind when it comes to film. That's true. Get off the podcast. <laughs> uh, you guys don't know anything about comedies. All right. Well, that'll wrap things <laughs> up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Let us know what you thought of The King of Staten Island. Did that film work for you? Is Pete Davidson funny? What do you think of our drafted top comedies of the decade? Email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Check us out on Instagram. Uh, rate us on iTunes. All that shit. <laughs> Tired of asking. Yeah, you're not going to do it anyways. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee. God, All right. I'm getting Gentlemen. too turned on with and um, you guys make me feel bad about my shoulders. I bet I bet underneath they're as big as yours or bigger, but you just can't see because of all the fat. I bet underneath is a really special little lady. <laughs> but underneath. All right.